Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Butchnevich carries it in, takes it on the wraparound, score! Pavel Butchnevich buries it! And you can bring out the Zamboni, the St. Louis Blues... Get the gutsiest win of the season. A 4-3 overtime win over the Panthers tonight. Guess what day it is, huh? Hump day. Good morning, everyone. Happy Hump Day, Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 6.59. We're early. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Normally, Randy shows up at like 6.59.30. So, Michelle, this is pretty good that I was here on time of all days today. Randy, I think your clock's off. I've got 7.02, buddy. Oh, do you? In St. Louis. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I have to change this clock. I thought it was an atomic clock. Evidently, it is not. On my iPhone and... And my computer, yeah. 702. So I've got that, 702. Good thing. And the Blues do win 4-3 in overtime last night. You heard the call from Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. And the Blues, before the Florida teams, I said, hey, I'd be happy with four out of eight points the way things are going. The Blues wind up with five out of eight <laughs> points against Tampa Bay and Florida. Randy, I can't believe that. It's I just unbelievable. can't believe they won that so, game. So if you didn't get a chance to tune in, last night the Blues, after one period, were outshot. 20 to 5. They were on pace to be outshot 60 to 15 in the game. But Villejuso was unbelievable in the first period and they were only down 1 nothing. Well, they got a tie because Vladimir Tarasenko showed up. First goal in 11 games. It's 1-1. The the uh, Panthers come back. Montour scores to make it 2-1. Braden Shen scores for the first time since he returned from his injury. It's a 2-2 game. And then in the third period at the 6.48 mark, the Blues got a goal from Brandon Saad, and that made it 3-2 Blues. Back came the Panthers. Jonathan Huberdeau, his ninth of the year at the 14.28 mark. And we're tied 3-3, Michelle, going into overtime, and that set up what was the winner from Butchnevich there that we heard from Chris Kerber. Now, the Blues did this playing with 10 forwards. They had three lines and an extra forward. Jake Wallman was playing some left wing. They did it with Ville Husso getting hurt in the third period. He had been brilliant, but on that last goal by Huberdeau, he got hurt and he was out. So Craig Berube had to lead a club that was really severely shorthanded. Yeah, Craig, what can, what can you say? I mean, you're already playing a guy short. You've got six guys out of the lineup already. You lose two more tonight, and to come away with uh, two points, what does that say well, about yeah. the perseverance? Yeah, I think everybody, you know, I know the first period wasn't it, like we wanted it, but uh, they recovered, and uh, guys did a great job in the second and third period. Our special teams are really good tonight. 
Um, you know, and that's a big part of it all. Uh, but, you know, the guys worked and competed and did all, you know, they played the second and third period like, you know, we want to play. You know, on our toes, attacking and being competitive and doing a lot of good things. Randy, this was a DNA win. Mm -hmm. This shows you what this mental makeup is of this Blues team. They had absolutely no business winning that game, especially after you mentioned after the first period. Ville Husso kept them in that, and that's an understatement. He was outstanding. Major sick taps for him, but he kind of reset the game and allowed the Blues to come back and attack, and you knew that Ryan O'Reilly was going to come out there and give you a signature Ryan mm -hmm. O'Reilly game, that when the team needed him, you knew he was going to step up. But when we talked to Mike Claiborne yesterday, I thought he brought up an excellent point that this was a great spot for Vladimir Tarasenko yep. to step up as well. And I thought he did, not only getting a, a goal, but a beautiful assist. He made his presence known on several really impactful plays during that game. And that's what the best player on your team should do. That's what leaders on your team should do. And I thought it was a really important game for Vladimir Tarasenko last night. And something happened in the first intermission. I, I was in the booth with Curbs, and we were looking after the first period. Vladimir Tarasenko had six seconds of possession time in the first period. Bushnevich had three seconds of possession time in the first period. All of a sudden, those guys start showing up. And granted, the Blues played most of that period, not most, but played a lot of that period shorthanded. And all of a sudden, you get on the power play, and those guys are showing up. Mm -hmm. It's a different team when you have those guys. And the Russian line, which needs a good line, uh, a good name, because Alex Ferrario did not come up with a good name for them. It's like uh, Barb Shankov or something like that. <laughs> so we, we need a better name. I'll do due respect, Alex. We, we need a better Alex. name for that Russian line. 65780-BLIS. We need a better name. Yeah, we do. Uh, Andrew Marsh, did you have a, you got a, a line name or something for us here? Uh, it's brewing in my head right now. Okay. I have one, but I just want to make sure that, you know, it's good to go. Okay. We'll see what the text line says first. Okay, bit. flush it out, though. I like those creative yeah. juices flowing. Yeah, yeah you know? think about it. So what did turn around for the Blues? Here's Brandon Sod. Yeah, you know, I think uh, anytime you could have uh, building shifts like that, you kind of gain confidence and uh, see when you play the right way that you're going to have success out there. So um, that's that's all part of the game. You know, there's going to be ebbs and flows, and uh, you want to keep it as long as you can. And I, and I think we did a good job responding there in the second. And so the Blues come away with the victory, 4-3 in overtime. Butch Navich with the big winner, and the Blues still hanging in there in the National League, National Hockey League Central Division, and they play the Red Wings on Thursday night, tomorrow night. So LGB. LGB. And, and Tarasenko. How much do you love Pavel Buchnevich? What another unbelievable acquisition by Doug Armstrong. I love watching that guy play hockey. He is terrific and has a chance to be a superstar. He's got all the tools, right? He, he can skate. He's got a great shot. He's willing to forecheck. He's a big guy. He does everything you need. And Brandon Saad is playing better for the Blues than I think he played for Chicago and Colorado. He's playing great. Thank you, Doug Armstrong. Yeah, And one other thing, for all of the grief that Ville Husso took last year at the beginning of the season, the Blues and Doug Armstrong evaluated him as a number one goalie. He sure looks like a number one. He does. And it is rare that Doug Armstrong has a misstep, but... Think about all the great moves that he has made, mm -hmm. the shrewd moves that he has made, the I'm going to go out and get this person and really fleece another organization moves that Doug Armstrong has made. I know that people might have questioned the way that the Alex Petrangelo thing went down, but even look at the way the Vladimir Tarasenko situation mm -hmm. played out. We had a lot of consternation about that, and here Doug Armstrong did not move a player who could be an impactful guy for your team when healthy for a return price that he didn't think was available, and Vladdy is 
out there being a member of the team, showing what he can do. I mean, he really played that well. 2016, the Blues get knocked out of the playoffs, and Brian Elliott has a year left on his contract and goes to Army and says, look, I want to be a number one. I don't want to share time with Jake Allen. I want to be a number one heading into my free agency year. And Army says, okay, well, we'll take care of you. So they send him to Calgary in the last year of his contract for a second-round pick and use that second-round pick on Jordan Cairo. Uh, <laughs> un- unreal. <laughs> yeah. So pretty good. Pretty good job by Army. He's He's got it going there. Other news, last night, Mizzou with a dominant performance over Eastern Illinois. They win it by a score of 72-44, to 44, dominated both ends of the floor. Kobe Brown with his third consecutive double-double. He had five steals. Amari Davis, Dewan Gordon had 15 and 14 points respectively to lead Mizzou. And so the Tigers get back on the winning track. A bad loss for SLU at Chaffetz Arena, 64-59. Michelle, as we know, at the end of the year, we get to tournament time. The committee is looking at bad losses and good wins. Mm-hmm. I don't know that this will be a bad loss because Belmont finds themselves in the tournament a lot. But SLU doesn't have a good win yet. They need to come up with some good wins. And they've got Auburn coming up. They've got some opportunities. They're going to have a ton of opportunities in the A-10. And they've missed two with UAB on Saturday and then Belmont last night. Yeah, there will be more chances for them with the schedule coming up against tough opponents to show what they can do. But you're right. Those early season losses are sometimes what comes back to haunt a team when it when it comes down to tournament time. Yep. Baseball, not much going on. But Tim Kirkchen, friend of the station, friend of the show, ESPN contributor, has been voted as the writer represented at the Baseball Hall of Fame this coming summer. So congratulations to Tim. Maybe tied for first among the nicest people in baseball. And of the people that take great care of the game. Tim Kirchin is so deserving of this honor. Not only is he so plugged in currently with everything that's going on in baseball, he's such a baseball historian. He genuinely loves the game of baseball to his core. So I'm so happy that he's getting this distinction. He so deserves it. And Michelle, I want to do, uh, by the way, we, we know who the Heisman finalists are. A future Heisman finalist is a guy named Quinn Ewers. He's from South Lake Carroll, same school that uh, Chase Daniel went to. And Quinn Ewers reclassified from the 2022 class, it would have been a high schooler this year, to 2021. He did it last August and went to Ohio State. Highest rated quarterback in the history of ratings that the, the rating services have been doing. So he goes to Ohio State. Signs NIL deals, name, image, likeness, worth a million and a half dollars, stays there for September, October, November, December, and then last weekend moved into the transfer portal. Okay? Okay. So he is currently in the transfer portal. And by the way, one of the reasons that he didn't go to Texas, where he had committed originally and then decommitted, was because Texas didn't allow name, image, and likeness money. Now they've loosened the reins on that. Now that he's in the transfer portal, there is literally a bidding war between Texas Tech and the University of Texas. And there is a report from Jeff Ketchum of orangebloods.com. This is the tweet. Word on the street is that first round draft pick level money is on the table for Quinn Ewers if he chooses Texas as his transfer destination. The weaponization on the NIL front is fully underway. So this is first round NFL draft choice money that is being offered to this 18 year old by the University of Texas to go there. What do we think that sum looks like? It's seven, eight, nine million. And do we think it's one 
company that's willing to offer this to him that's a Texas alum, likely. I wouldn't be surprised. Because that's what this is all about. This is, uh, to be completely frank, that's what I was hoping would happen in Chicago with Illinois, is that there would be all of these high-rolling former Illinois alums or people that support the program that would be willing to get some of these athletes to sign big deals to support them. I'm not surprised by this at all, especially no. in the state of Texas, who desperately needs a guy like this to come infuse some energy and some talent into their program. Yeah, that does not surprise me at all. But there will be eight to ten schools that will dominate college football and everybody else is going to be laid to waste. They'll be by the wayside. By the way, the lowest salary for a first round draft choice this year, Joe Tryon from the Buccaneers got a contract worth eleven point one million dollars. And this is before he even really starts playing. Right. He played two snaps for Ohio State. And by the way, was more than willing to take the Ohio NIL money before entering the transfer portal four months into his career there. Pretty smart. Here's the other thing is that why, why do we have and we never should have. But why even bother having these kids go to class anymore? You think he went to class this semester at Ohio State? I doubt no it. No chance. Or if he did, it it was because he was required to by the, the football program. Yeah. I don't know what their requirements are, but some some programs have you go and there's a there's an attendance thing. You know, I don't really know what happens there, but I imagine if he was a short timer, he probably wasn't that interested no, <laughs> in I'm sh- pursuing his well, degree. And he thought that he was going to be able to play, and then Stroud took over the number one job, and he he didn't want to really compete for it, and he can get more money elsewhere. So yeah, that. Who would have thought that to preserve a level of parity in college football that you would want NCAA oversight? Because it is literally now with Texas, it's the wild, wild west. It is the wild, wild west. However, I don't I don't think that this wasn't happening before. It was just so underhanded. And maybe the sums weren't NFL draft money type right. sums, but there was duffel bags of cash being dropped off. There was a lot of money-laden handshakes being being uh, passed out in different programs. This is just now above board. And you can actually, if you are a business, get something in return by having this person endorse your business or your product. And the other part of it was, if you got caught, you could get in trouble. Yes. And now, because you can be open about it, you can have bidding wars. I will be interested to see if this guy does wind up going to Texas and gets the 10, 11 million dollars. How's his left tackle going to feel about that? That's a good question. But is this guy that good that he would help them be in the be in a position to be in a playoff or compete for a national championship because highest rated quarterback ever. I that's what I'm saying. If I'm the left tackle, I want to protect him because his success is my success. Yeah. Here are the top 10 revenue-producing football programs in college football. And these will be the ones that dominate college football if they can find a coach like Texas. Texas, $156 million. They're number one? Yep. Georgia, $123 million. Michigan, $122 million. Notre Dame, $116. Ohio State, $115. Penn State, $100 million. Auburn, $95 million. Oklahoma, $95 million. Alabama, $95 million. And Nebraska, $94.3 million. Do you take NFL first round money to go to Lincoln, Nebraska? I do not, no. And uh, then, I would look at any of those other nine options. Yeah. Rounding out the top 15 are LSU, Tennessee, Wisconsin, Florida, and Washington. And the bottom of the Power Five, West Virginia, Rutgers, Wake Forest, Vanderbilt, and Boston College. Mizzou, by the way, is second to last in the SEC. What's the last? Vanderbilt. Yeah, no surprise there. Um, honestly, Randy, 
all of those programs you named in the top 10 outside of Nebraska are teams that contend anyway. These are, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe Auburn and Penn State haven't been for probably the money they're generating, getting the most bang for their buck. Auburn but has two championships in the last 10 yes, years, Yes, they though. do. And, and Penn State is <laughs> yeah. a team that competes in the Big Ten. So, But I'm saying comparatively to the right, Alabamas right. and the Georgias and the Notre Dames and even the Oklahomas of the world, I would say that they're maybe a tier below, but they're mm-hmm. still really thriving programs that compete. The only surprise for me is that LSU is not in the top 10, and I bet that that will change under Brian Kelly. I would think that will. And let me get to the SEC. So so all of these these generate revenue generating programs are teams that already have the talent anyway. That's true. Yeah. So how much is really going to change other than the fact that these kids are going to be making more money and it's going to be done in the light of day. But is a kid now going to want to go to Mizzou? Would you rather be a backup at LSU making 50,000 or a starter at Mizzou? making 25 or 20 or 10. I would argue that you could make more money if you're a starter at Mizzou than if you're a backup at LSU. You would hope so. LSU, by the way, just outside of that top 15, that program generates 92 million, Tennessee 91 million. So LSU is going to be fine also. That's Michelle. I'm Randy off and running here on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 because it's Wednesday. And that means we've got Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Got a question for Uncle Randy? Let him dive into his infinite well filled with wisdom to find you answers. Text 65780. It's Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. I've been around, you know. It is time for Ask Uncle Randy. We do appreciate your texts to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Hey, if you've got a question, especially during this holiday season, I know that there's a a lot of thirst for wisdom during the holiday season. Well, I'm here to provide that. I'm I'm an old guy. And if you have a question for Uncle Randy, feel free to chime in at 65780. Michelle, what do we have? From the 573, Dear Uncle Randy, do you think between Kansas City and St. Louis being bigger markets that Mizzou could compete in the SEC if the university builds excitement for the program? I think there's a chance. The question is, is that you're dealing with two pro sports towns where so much of the money is invested in the pro sports teams. In a place like Austin, Texas, you've got the soccer team, the new soccer team, but those places really aren't the the big companies in Austin which is a big time city now they aren't investing as much in the Cowboys Rangers uh, Texans etc the Houston and Dallas teams because those metropolises are big enough so that they can make a a lot of money same with Alabama and Auburn The, the entire focus is on the schools if Mizzou it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing do they win because there is enough support from these two metro areas or do they get support because they're exciting from the metro areas i think it'll be very difficult for mizzou to generate the sort of revenue that the rest of the sec does under the current construct that they have they've got to find a way to generate more in the state and i don't know where that comes from Mm -hmm. when there's so much competition for the dollars it's going to be really hard for for them to capitalize on the big markets in Missouri, I think that they should look 
elsewhere in the state. I think that that's really where you go. Is you go to a lot of the other places in Missouri that love Mizzou football and that might have money to spend. Right. And there is obviously a ton of money that has gone into the new indoor practice facilities, the South uh, End Zone project. project. Donors are providing a lot of money to the athletic program at Mizzou. But is the flow going to be consistent enough so that you can get to the middle of the SEC in revenue. Hasn't happened yet, so I'll believe it when I see it. From the 636, Dear Uncle Randy, I work in HR and I have to take a long-term travel assignment to get some of our satellite offices on track. Here are my choices. Seattle, Dallas, San Diego, and Jacksonville. I've been to none of them. Any suggestions on where I should go? Okay, I want Michelle to weigh in here. Okay, here's my point. San Diego, don't think twice. No, San Diego's awesome, but they only have the Padres. So you're listening to us, you're a sports fan. Now, obviously, you can watch all of your St. Louis teams on TV. Yeah, it it sounds to me like with Seattle and San Diego that the company is going to be providing housing. Yeah, if you can do San Diego first, I think that's a really good idea. Myself, not a huge fan of Dallas. Don't like the Cowboys, don't like Jerry Jones. What what was the other one? Jacksonville. Seattle, Dallas, San Diego, and Jacksonville. My order would be San Diego by a mile. Seattle second, Dallas third, Jacksonville fourth. Same order. And push Jacksonville basically is South Atlanta, right? I don't know. I've never been. I've been to the other three, never been to Jacksonville. Really have no desire to go to Jacksonville. Yeah. Hopefully somebody there has a desire to come here. Hmm. 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 So, yeah, especially because the company is paying for you to be there long term. Yeah, take advantage of San Diego. Uh, Point Loma Seafood, unbelievable. Their shrimp salad is like to die for. Really, uh, in Old Town San Diego, uh, the, the, the gas lamp district... Really good pizza places, too. Underrated pizza in San Diego, California. You know what I did, Michelle, last time we were there? Because I traveled with the Rams last, uh, well, for a long time. But I would rent a bike, and you could ride the perimeter of the water in San Diego. It was awesome. That's why I'm saying don't even think twice about it. You want to go to San Diego, If you're a bicyclist, though, Seattle is considered one of the best bicycling towns in America. Seattle's great, but it's depending on what time of year, the weather... I mean, you're not going to get bad weather if you go to San Diego. Here's the, here's the thing for me with Seattle that might swing it in Seattle's favor is that they have three pro sports teams. They have the the sports. They have hockey. They have baseball. They have football, which is cool. And soccer. And soccer, right? Dynamic soccer. Seattle Sounders. Very good, Randy. All right, thank you. Very good. From the 317, Dear Uncle Randy, my wife says she wants perfume for Christmas, but she has no idea what she should smell like. What advice do you have for me? Okay, I. this is where you go back to the mall. And once again, we have a situation where Michelle can weigh in. But if she doesn't know what she wants to smell like, then you find out what you like because you're the one that's going to be saying, oh, you smell good today. So my recommendation <laughs> would be to go to a Macy's, go to uh, Dillard's at the, the, the Galleria, and actually take a sniff of some of the perfumes there. Joan always asks for, by the way, Chance by Chanel. Okay. So that's, that makes her smell good. And But she asks specifically for that one. But I, that's one recommendation that I can give you. That's the Randy Carriker stamp of approval. Chance by Chanel. And you think it smells great, right? I think it's great, yeah. I mean, it's Chanel. Of course it smells yeah. good, right? Um, 
I'm with you, Randy, but what I would do, because not only do you want to like how she smells and she wants to like how she smells, perfumes smell differently on different people because of their skin. Mm -hmm. I would get her a gift certificate to Sephora or to get her a gift certificate and you guys go together. And so when you have that moment on Christmas or the holidays or whatever, you have something to give her, but you guys could go pick it out together. And one other thing, just for fun, Go to the dollar store and get some dollar store perfume and put it in her stocking. Just for fun. There's perfume at the dollar store? I'm sure there is. Nice. Yeah. Or I'm sure you could get some at Target, too. There you go. But Target has good stuff. That's true. They do. But they also have cheap stuff there, too. Or affordable stuff, I should say. Yeah. Not that the product is cheap, but it's it's lower on the price spectrum. By the way, this is not an affront to the dollar store because I part, I shop there all the time. You do. You lo- and I you love, love Five Below, too. Five, I love them both. Yep. All right. Let's go to this other one. Dear Uncle Randy, it's resetting. I left my old job about two years ago. My friend is the manager, and I go every two months to help with paperwork and fill in. I don't need the money, really, and and I love my eight to five. Do I keep this side job or enjoy the time off of my real job? Keep the side job. If it's your friend and you're having fun and you like doing it, yeah, when you can hang out with a buddy and... Hey, it's always nice to have a backup plan. If your buddy is in charge and you have like that unpaid side gig, they'll appreciate that if you ever lose the gig that you have. If you're enjoying life, just enjoy what you're doing. You, because you might be sitting home watching whatever's on TV rather than doing something productive and doing something memorable. So I would say, yeah, keep up the side gig. This the next one's a very tough one, Randy. Okay, I can handle it. Okay, it's kind of long, so settle in. From the 636, Hey, Uncle Randy, I recently found out that my wife has been having an emotional affair with my neighbor. They text all day, every day. He tells her how how beautiful she is and even sneaks over and leaves her hundreds of dollars worth of gifts, including books, gift cards, and a tablet. I also found out that he tried to kiss her. It's been a few months since I found out. And it still makes me furious. My wife tells me she never had feelings and nothing ever happened and that I need to get over it. Does she have the right to tell me that I need to get over it? And should I have told the guy's wife? He's married, by the way. Number one, you shouldn't get over it. Let me start with this. There is no such thing as just an emotional affair. That's an affair. If they're texting all day and he's providing her gifts and they're sharing feelings via text... That's unfair. If he's saying things to her and giving her gifts that he would not do in front of you. That's unfair, right? Yes, you should tell his wife. And if it winds up blowing up your relationship with your neighbors and somebody has to move, so be it. But yeah, you need to get those two separated. That thing isn't going away. And so I, I would say that it is a big deal. Even though she says it's not a big deal, that is a big deal. And so... I would use every tool in the toolbox because this is a problem. I would take a big trash bag and throw every gift he's given her in the trash bag. Even and the tablet? Even the tablet, Randy. I don't, I don't want that tablet. Gift cards? I don't want the emotional affair tablet. Gift cards? No, I don't want that. It's tinged uh, with lust. Cards. I don't want it. Gift cards. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. It's a sin. Get it out of there. It's bad juju. And I would put it in the trash bag and I would go over to the dude's house when I know the wife was home and I'd be like, hey, why are you giving my wife all these gifts? Okay, that's fair. 
And then the wife will be like, what? Use a gift card. You first. don't even have to secretly tell the wife. All you have to do is confront the dude when you know the wife is home, and then he's going to have to explain why he's been spending their marital money to give the neighbor a tablet. Well said. Good Just thought. saying. I still want to use the gift cards on stuff for me. <laughs> Maybe keep one gift card yeah. and you go use it, depending on where it's to. I don't know. Well, he, oh, ahead, I was going to say, he could move houses and then tell her to get over it. Yeah. But that's a lot of work for that you. That is a then, lot of too. work. Trust yeah. me, you don't yeah. want to move. That's a lot. Yeah. I'm just thinking it's. I'm thinking of all the golf stuff I can buy. I'm just spitballing here. But you don't know where the gift cards are too. Yeah, if they're to Sephora, you're not buying. Me yeah, what if it is Sephora? So yeah, you just that's good play on the trash bag with all the gifts. Hey, these are your things that you have purchased for my wife, and we we collectively don't yeah. want them with the wife home because yeah, we a, are a unit and we do not want this tablet. Yeah. Get out of here, buddy. This is a problem. That's a gutsy move on the part of a next door neighbor. Yeah, what is he doing? Wait until he's like peeking out the blinds and seeing when the husband leaves for work Mm -hmm. and then he's sneaking over to drop off tablets? Yeah, bad form. Come on. Bad form, neighbor. So I feel for you, dude, because that's, uh, hey, and we don't know, we don't have the context of what her return texts were. Obviously, he has feelings for her that may not be reciprocated. She said that, but we don't know what her texts said. But it sounds to me, if you say it's an emotional affair, then it's it's troubling. It should be troubling for you. And it and it's very troubling if she's telling you that nothing's going on, but she's accepting the gifts. Yes. Clearly, she likes the communication. Clearly, she likes the attention. And you need to to have that conversation with her as well. Don't Definitely. don't just brush this under the rug. Get to the root of the problem, or else it's not going to go away. Right. Yep. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome, Randy. And uh, yeah, happy holidays. <laughs> I don't think they're going to be going to the neighborhood block party. Yikes. <laughs> Probably not. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got NFL news and notes on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hey, if you got a tablet from your neighbor, go to 101ESPN.com and join the holiday spirit by, by donating to this year's character and Smallman 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser supporting Operation Food Search. Donate at least $25 online between now and December 13th and you'll get a complimentary 101 ESPN Blues t-shirt with the 101 ESPN logo and the Blues logo and a koozie and a sticker as a gift for your donation. $25. Thanks to our presenting sponsors of this year's 12 Days of T-Shirts campaign, American Standard Heating and Cooling and Contractors, and McBride Homes. Find all the details on this year's 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser now at 101ESPN.com. Yeah, you take those gifts from the neighbor and you donate them to charity. There you go. That's a good play. Michelle, tomorrow night, the Thursday night game, you You've got the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Minnesota Vikings. And yesterday, Dalvin Cook actually practiced, limited in practice for the Vikings. Obviously, they lost last week against Detroit without him. He's a necessary part of their offense. He's been dealing with a shoulder injury, and it seems like he has a chance to get back against Pittsburgh tomorrow. They're right there on the bubble, Randy, in the playoff picture. Five and seven, second in the NFC North, but this is going to be uh, problematic for them. And... Pittsburgh is also uh, on the edge. I, I wonder how good they're going to be down the stretch. I wonder if Mike Tomlin really turned things around last week. I don't have a lot of faith in them. Do you? No, and it's because I think the Big Ben is done. Big Ben doesn't think he's done, but I think he is. I thought he was telling people privately he's done. Well, he, he's not going to play anymore after this season, but he still thinks that he can make throws. 
true. But if you're telling people that the end of your career is happening in a matter of weeks, you already know that you're done. That's true. Maybe and publicly you're saying, I, I still have some in, left in me for the remainder of the season. We know better. Yeah. And by the way, uh, as the Steelers get ready for that game, uh, Roethlisberger uh, said that he's going to lean on the team's chiropractors, masseuses, and training staff to make sure that he's as ready as possible to play. He said there's only so much he's going to be able to do about that right shoulder. He said it's got a lot of miles on it at this point. He said, quote, it's my shoulder that hurts more than my elbow. My elbow feels great, thanks to the doctors. It's just dealing with throwing. Wish someone could keep track. Like, I've thrown a million throws in my life, so at some point your shoulder starts to wear down a little mm -hmm. bit. Just like any quarterback, your arm always hurts a little bit. Think about everything that that body has absorbed throughout his playing Oh, can career. you imagine? No, I don't know what it's like to wake up and be him every day. Imagine what he feels like. He's probably in a lot of pain. I think the average NFL player plays with a certain level of pain anyway. Like, their I feel good and normal would probably be us feeling terrible every yeah. day just because of everything that they have to endure. I can't even imagine at this stage of his career what Big Ben feels like. No, hard to imagine. And last Sunday, even though they beat the 49ers, Seattle still pretty much done in terms of making the playoffs and now they're really done because Jamal Adams is out for the season with a shoulder injury of his own that might be a trade two first round draft picks that Seattle gave to the Jets that they wind up regretting because right now I think the Jets would have the fifth pick in the draft their own pick would be number four and the Seahawks pick would be number five is this the end of the Seahawks as we know it? I believe it is. I think it is, too. Now, we know that Russell Wilson likely still wants out, and that's going to be a major offseason storyline. What about Pete Carroll? If, if Russell Wilson isn't there anymore, do you still want Pete Carroll to be the co-face of your organization? Do you want him to be the guy to rebuild your team into the next phase of what the Seahawks are going to be? Love Pete Carroll, but I don't want, even though he's in great shape, don't want a 70-year-old starting my rebuild. Even though he's done it before and you know he's a great coach or a guy that could at least coach coach and build a winning team. There's a big difference between 60 and 70, though. And he did it when he was 60. I don't know if starting it at 70. I, I do know. You, you don't start a rebuild project at 70. He doesn't look 70, though. He doesn't. I'm sure he's in great shape. He's very spry. Yeah, but I would start over. And it, in the last 10 years, the game has changed so much. Part of it has kind of passed him by, too. What... I would love in a private moment to know what his appetite is to continue on. Right. After he knows that Russ isn't there and that he's likely going to face uh, a, diff a different challenge in his career and building this team, I wonder how much at this stage of his career, and as you mentioned, his age, he is fired up about that. But a lot of mm -hmm. these coaches are wired differently. A lot of them can't fathom a life outside of football. So I don't, I don't know where he falls on that spectrum, but I would love to know. All right, Michelle, let's touch on the playoffs because right now, the division leaders in the NFC of the seven teams that are going to make the playoffs, division leaders are Arizona, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, and Dallas. And I think it's safe to say that all of those teams are going to wind up winning their divisions. Right now, the wild cards are the Rams at 8-4, and four, Washington at 6-6, six and six, and San Francisco at 6-6, six and six, with Philadelphia being at 6-7 and seven on the outside looking in. Of those wild cards, is there anybody that you don't think is going to hang on among Rams, Washington, San Francisco? I'm really quickly checking the remaining schedule for the Washington football team because that's the I think the Rams will get in as much as we hate to say it. I definitely yeah, I think, think that they they're going to get in. OK, the Washington football team has Dallas, Philadelphia, Dallas again, Philly again, and the New York football giants. 
I could see them winning only one or two more games. Yes, that, that's the team. I could see them losing to Philly at least once, and I could see them losing to Dallas once, maybe twice. And Philadelphia is a half game behind them, mm-hmm. Washington. They obviously play Washington twice. They've got the Giants, and they've got the Cowboys, but this uh, they've already taken care of the Jets. So with a record of 6-7, and seven, so they, they've got uh, one, two, three, four left. I could... It's going to come down to the Washington games. They should beat the Giants, and they should theoretically lose to the Cowboys. But if they can sweep Washington, Philly could find them way, their way into the playoffs. I do like, by the way, the way the the uh, San Francisco 49ers are playing. I think they're going to be just fine. Michelle, when you look at where they are in the playoffs right now, they've got a game at Cincinnati this week. Then they've got Atlanta at home, at the Henryless Titans, mm-hmm. and then the Texans at home, and then they finish up with the Rams at, at L.A. I like their chances with their remaining schedule better than I do for the Washington football team. And I do kind of think right now, we we talked about the Rams and we we hate the idea. Right now, if the Rams would finish where they are, their first round game would be against Dallas at Dallas. Hmm. So we'll see. A A lot will change. In the AFC, you've got... The Patriots, Titans, Baltimore, and KC, I think they all hang on. I think the Chargers hang on to a wild card. That division is really bad. Uh, aside, Well, not really bad, but I think the Chargers are better than Denver, better than the Raiders. I think the Bengals are a really scary team. Pittsburgh and then Indy. I think Indy makes their way into the playoffs as a wild card. I don't think Pittsburgh does. I, I have more faith in Indy than I do Pittsburgh right now. Yeah, Indy is just hot. And their only problem with trying to retake the division is that they've lost to the Bengals twice. They're basically three games behind. Can I circle back to what you were saying about the Rams' potential first-round matchup versus yeah. the Cowboys? Who do you cheer for in that? Uh, I just hope both lose. I don't know. I guess I want the Rams out as soon as possible. But that that's not an ideal matchup for us because you can't really be cheering for the opposition because you also hate the opposition. That's true. If the playoffs started today, Arizona would have a bye. You'd have San Francisco at Green Bay, the football team at Tampa, and then the Rams at Dallas. Mm. So I still think the Rams have a couple of losses in them, though. So I'm not really worried about this. At the moment, they're going to lose Monday night at Arizona. So that's going to be five losses for them, right? Uh, They'll beat Seattle. They'll lose at Minnesota. So that'll be six losses. They'll lose at Baltimore. That'll be seven losses. And then the 49er game is a toss-up. So they'll they'll be 10 and 7, 9 and 8. You really think they're going to lose versus Minnesota? Oh, yeah. Because Cook will be back. Andrew, <laughs> our resident Vikings insider here. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that one, Randy. It's at Minnesota. Cook will be back. And one thing about those Rams, they can't stop the run. So, uh, Hey, we're fine. You know, Mike Zimmer, just keep an eye on that team, that offense, and you'll be fine. Okay. You like that one, Andrew? Yeah. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text in for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing.
Great to have you with us on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle. I am Randy. And it's time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Michelle, as you know, it has been a rough year for Jets quarterback, second pick in the draft, Zach Wilson. Yes. A lot of interceptions, not many touchdowns. The team is kind of scuffling. And Zach Wilson's mom apparently is prolific on social media. And Zach and his girlfriend and one of her friends went to TikTok and put together a little video basically saying, if you're going to be critical of Zach, you can kiss our butt. Take it or leave it. Zach Wilson will never last in New York as long as his mom keeps turning out videos like that. I'm going to take that. You're just giving the tabloids and the papers and the New York fans reason to hate you. You are. Yeah. And it's he's got to tell them to calm down a little bit. What? It would be one thing if he was playing great. But for a long time, until he got hurt, he was leading the league in interceptions. Even now, he is... Uh, he, he's got six touchdowns and 11 picks. I understand being protective and wanting to defend someone that you love when the outside world is criticizing them and maybe the outside world does not have all the information mm-hmm. and you're on the inside and you want to protect that person. But I will never understand the thought process of, you know what's going to make this situation better or easier for the person I love is me going on social media and talking about it. It'll never work. It is never going to work. Then you throw gas on the on the fire and you make yourself the story. Yeah. And you're just turning more people against the person you love. It's counterintuitive. I don't get it. I don't see how it works either. I don't see how he's not going to her and say, mom and girlfriend. Come on. Delete that thing. Yeah. Come on, guys. Randy, as you know, the Patriots are sitting on top of the AFC. I know they are. How about that? Nine and four. First in the AFC East, top of the AFC. There's a lot of talk about Brady and Belichick and this season kind of being a little bit of a redemption for Bill Belichick after Brady won without him. He's proving that he can win at least some semblance of winning without Tom Brady. But take it or leave it. This season has been more of a redemption for Josh McDaniels than it has for, for Bill Belichick. Oh, I'll take that. Yeah. People still think that he was a product of Tom Brady. And by the way, Mac Jones isn't lighting the world on fire. I mean, it's but he's. He's calling the right place. Mm-hmm. He's when it's forty mile an hour winds. He's not trying to make a guy who doesn't have a very strong arm try to throw it. So yeah, he is doing a really good job with that offense. Yeah, he is building an offense around what he knows Mac Jones can do, and not trying to force Mac Jones into an offense that he thinks is going to be successful, which is kind of what we saw here in St. Louis and mm-hmm. in other places. So I don't know. I was just thinking about that yesterday, and I think that. It's always going to be Tom and Bill as the headline, but right underneath it, Josh McDaniels quietly putting together a redemption season of sorts. Take it or leave it. This just popped into my head. The Patriots right now would trade Mac Jones for Bryce Young. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to take it. Even though Bryce Young's great. That 60-yard in the air throw to Williams the other night. That's That's a throw that Brady made in 2007 that Mac Jones has never been able to make. But you're having success with a quarterback that you drafted, and mm-hmm. 50% of the time that does not happen. Right, yeah. So even though you're looking at the skill sets and you you might be tempted to make that deal, I don't know. I, I would be a little gun shy because I would say, well, this is working here. 
and you don't know how things are going to play out in the future. How many times have we seen very talented quarterbacks come out of college and it does not translate to the NFL level for one one reason or another? We saw one here. We saw several here. We saw a lot of guys who did not translate here. All right, a couple of texts, 65780. Andrew, what do you got for us? Yeah, take it or leave it since uh, Yadier Molina's not busy and he's a huge Blues fan. Maybe he should strap on the pads and give it a shot in the crease. Take Take it. it. Yeah, why not? Have they called him already? No, but you talk about a guy who could just deaden the puck when it hits the mask, uh, the 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 chest protector, unless it sticks to the chest protector. But uh, yeah, he he could do it. He would be great. Could you imagine if the puck stuck to his sweater? <laughs> no, I could not. <laughs> uh, take it or leave it from the six one eight. Baseball should implement an automatic strike zone during the negotiations. Yeah, totally, one hundred percent. Take it. Take that too. And have it be the strike zone that's in the book. As you say all the time, yeah. just implement what's already there. Yeah, right. Enforce the rules. All right, take it or leave it. The Cardinals will make one or two more big splashes before the season starts, and they win the division next year. Depends on what you call a big splash, but I'll say that they will cause the water to ripple at least. There'll be movement on the water. Yes, there will. Like it'll be kind of like skipping a stone across the, the water. But it's not going to be dropping a boulder and causing a huge splash. It's not going to be. It's not going to be above what they've already done with mats. No. What about? I guess story, regardless of what contract you gave story, if the market shifts and story is available to you, just if you sign him, even if it's for one year and twenty million dollars, that is a splash. I agree. I think that would be above the mats deal. Just because of the position, just mm-hmm. because of all-star the, guy, yeah, the and the surprise factor of yeah. it. Because I think when John Mozeliak comes out and talks about Paul DeYoung in the manner in which he did, and uh, to a lesser degree though Edmundo Sosa, it's kind of laying the groundwork for a lot of fans to think that they're not necessarily shopping down that aisle. So I would think that would make a bigger ripple than the Matt deal, even though that was likely a, a better deal. Thanks, Andrew. You got it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Next up, Cardinals have a lot of young infielders that they need to consider what they need to do with. We're going to tell them. We're going to make Mo's job easy for them <laughs> next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Jordan Walker is on the cover of the latest issue of Baseball America. He's ranked as the Cardinals' top prospect. And Dan McLaughlin has told us time and again that he's on the fast track, that the Cardinals would not be surprised if he advanced to the major leagues in September of 2022. You add him, Michelle, to Nolan Gorman, who's going to be with the team, Wanya Pez, who was unbelievable in the Arizona Fall League. And you wonder, with the fact that you have Arenado under contract, Mm -hmm. you have two young shortstops, and you have Tommy Edmond, who's young at second base. What do you do with all these young infielders? I guess, as Mo has said in the past, it's a good problem when you have talent knocking on the door. But the big question is, where are these guys going to be utilized and how are you going to get them this time? Now, obviously, if the DH comes to the National League, as everyone assumes that it will, that provides a different opportunity to at least get these guys some playing time, at least offensively. But 
I just don't know how these guys are going to get any sort of a runway to show what they can do, especially when you have a lot of young talent on the Cardinals already, particularly in the outfield. You need to evaluate properly. And when they drafted Walker, they said he could play third base. And Paul Goldschmidt, let's see, I think he has two years left. Perhaps Walker is a future first baseman. But if Walker is a better hitter than Carlson or Tyler O'Neill, you just Put him in the outfield. Mm-hmm. Or you you he's your DH rather than a guy like Gorman. Gorman says, I'm a second baseman. Now, if he's at second base, Tommy Edmond is your leadoff hitter. He's got to play. They need to find a leadoff hitter if Tommy Edmond is not going to be that guy. These issues have a way of working themselves out. You can never have too many good players. But a lot of times what will happen is a Nolan Gorman won't be able to hit left-handed. I'm just throwing it because he's a left-handed hitter. A hypothetical. Yeah. A, a, a left-handed hitting prospect won't be able to hit left-handed hitting at the major league level. Juan Yepes, who was really good in the minors and really good in the Arizona Fall League, winds up being Justin Williams. A lot of times, players that you project are going to be able to do something at the big league level don't wind up being solid major leaguers. And if these guys do end up maximizing their talent and at least projecting, or at least showing you that they're going to be close to what you've projected them to be that is something to add to your arsenal if you would like to go out and make a move and that's something that i i imagine that all of these guys might not stay in the system forever that these are some guys that maybe john mosaic in the front office could use in a deal somewhere and mo said after the randy rosarena fiasco last year he said (laughs) we have to know our prospects better than the opposition does And so the Cardinals better evaluate these guys correctly. I don't know if, for example, there was a choice to give up Alcantara or somebody else. At that point, Alcantara and Junior Fernandez were pretty much rated evenly. And the Cardinals were worried about Alcantara turning out great. But if there was somebody else that the Marlins could have taken rather than Alcantara, then shame on the Cardinals. We know, because we talked to Kevin Eibach from the Tampa Bay front office, that they had their eye on a Rosarena from the time he left Cuba for Mexico. There was nobody else that yeah. the Rays were interested in rather than Randy Rosarena. But we've said it a million times. You better have evaluated Matthew Libertor correctly. And same thing with these guys. But... Would I be surprised if Jordan Walker winds up being the Cardinal first baseman in three years? I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, they the Tampa Bay Rays really, really wanted um, Randy Rosarena. And at the time, he wasn't getting a lot of playing time here. And we had the, the cell phone video thing happen. So I imagine that the Cardinals, with everything that was going on and not really knowing who he was or, wh- or what they projected him to be, were looking at getting someone like Matthew Libertor and saying, this is going to be a steal for mm-hmm. us. We, are, we already have so many guys who are out on the runway in the outfield. We don't, we don't have enough spots for them. This is going to be a good return. And it still might end up, at the end of the day, being an unbelievable deal for the Cardinals. We don't know yet. That is still out there. Boy, I hope so. I hope so, too. But but to your point, though, what if it comes to where Jordan Walker is really knocking at the door? Do you, And you suggested maybe Carlson or O'Neal. You, you put him out there instead of those guys. Are you really going to want to put him out there instead of Tyler O'Neal, multiple gold glove winner and a guy that has shown that he's somebody that could be an impact player for you? Dylan Carlson, John Mozalek said you'd have to pry him out of his cold, dead hands. So there could be some really difficult 
decisions that come up for the Cardinals on how they want to use these guys or where or when. And that's why the Cardinals really need to push for the designated hitter. hitter. Because if Walker is what you anticipate he's going to be, then he has to be one of your DHs. By the way, Goldie through 2024, so 22, 23, 24. That's probably too long a time to wait for Jordan Walker to be your first baseman. Another point we have to make, though, is we don't know what Yvonne Herrera is going to be. I know that he's a highly rated prospect, but the Cardinals have had a lot of highly rated catching prospects that haven't worked out. There may come a time in the very near future where they have to trade for a catcher that is more reliable than what they have coming up through their system. You don't think that in the post-Yachty era that you might see him splitting time with Kisner? I don't know if Kisner's a major leaguer. I, his offense has not given me the belief that he is a major leaguer yet. Uh, an everyday, even 100-game, 90-game major leaguer. So would you feel more comfortable with just going with Herrera and seeing what he can be? I'd rather have somebody, uh, a veteran, to compliment him when he gets started in 2023. And whether that's a free agent or a guy that you have to trade for, we don't know, but that's something that you can use those bullets for. You're always going to need something, so it's always good to have young players because there's always going to be a team out there, whether it's Baltimore or Miami, they're spending money this offseason, or Tampa. Somebody's always going to be looking for prospects and willing to give up a veteran to you. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Coming up, a big win for the Blues last night at Enterprise Center over the Florida Panthers. John Kelly's going to give us his read on where the Blues head with their undermanned unit next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carricker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Great floors for every home with locations in Crestwood, Manchester, Overland, and St. Peter's. And online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. The voice of the Blues on Ballet Sports is John Kelly. And last night, he witnessed the Blues getting outshot 20-5 to in the first period and then turning things around and coming away with a 4-3 overtime win over the Florida Panthers. Good morning, Mr. Kelly. How you doing? I'm doing great, Randy. How are you guys today? Everything's good. I was really worried last night after the first period, though. I, Billy Huso was the only reason the Blues weren't buying 4 or 5 nothing, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he was the only reason, quite honestly, and it was a remarkable comeback. But, you know, the first period they came out in rainy, I think we all knew that the Blues going into the game were playing a man short. They had only 10 forwards in the lineup and some key players out. Randy was almost like they were feeling sorry for themselves in the first period, um, and they didn't play well at all. And, you know, Brewey talked in the morning about – managing the puck well and not, you know, turning it over against a Florida team that really likes to pass the puck quickly and move up and, and jump on for the rush. And, you know, they had 51 shots on Saturday against the Blues. And what did the Blues do in the first period? Well, they didn't manage the puck well. They took three penalties. They fed the, the momentum of the Panthers, and they woke up after the first. I'm sure that the coach said something, um, a strongly worded um, message to that team after the first period um, because they were great after that, and they, and they played the right way. So all in all, it was a remarkable come from behind victory um, again the Blues were shorthanded and you know 10 forwards and then in, in, late in the game they lose Huso and Wallman on the same play <laughs> it, it really was one of the more bizarre games that I've ever done as a St. Louis Blues announcer 
John, you were talking about what the what Chief may have said to kind of wake the team up in the second period. I know that he was talking with Vladimir Tarasenko on the bench right before the start of the second period. And it seems like that awoke something within Vladdy because you know when the going gets tough, your leaders are going to step up or the best players on your team should step up. We expected that out of Ryan O'Reilly. But I thought Vladimir Tarasenko really answered the call last night, especially in the second and third periods. Yeah, he did, Michelle, and and he needs to. And and you know, players that aren't performing up to their level, you know, it, it's it's a short bench to start with. So when you have uh, a guy like Tarasenko that I I believe had no attempts even in the first period, had no attempts in in Saturday's game in Florida, that's just not good enough. I mean, he's getting power play time. He's playing with top players every night, and you know, he has had overall he's played pretty well, but of late. I believe his goal drought was 10 games going into last night. And not to say that he didn't play well in any of those 10 games, but at least the last couple of games, he, he seemed to be playing more on the outside again. And that seems to be a bad habit that he tends to slip into is to play too far on the outside and not drive the net, not use his speed. Um, but I thought in the last two periods, he did that. But more importantly, I think the team played with a lot more urgency, a lot more intensity and their passing and puck management was a lot better. But, you know, Tarasenko obviously picked it up after the first period, as you said. John, what have you learned about Butchnevich that you didn't know before the Blues got him? I think that he's probably a better overall, you know, smart hockey player. You know, I, I thought he was, you know, a, a big guy. And he's a big guy that, that has good speed and, you know, is good in the corners and things like that. And, you know, obviously he was a 20-goal scorer last year. But, Randy, he's probably a better passer than a shooter, and he probably should shoot more because he does have a good shot. But I think that he's he's overall, he's a really intelligent hockey player, and I love to see that. Uh, you know, they use him on the PK. He, he's out there in the last minute when they have a lead. He, he's good in his own zone, you know, a good checker, but also can score goals. So I, I think that overall I've been impressed with his – is hockey savvy, so to speak? Yeah, I, I look at him, and I, I'm with you on the the hockey what hockey IQ for back, lack of a better term. But he doesn't seem to have a, a real weakness. He really seems like a guy that has every tool necessary to be a really really good player. Yeah, that's a good point. And as I said, he kills penalties. He plays in the power play. Um, as I said, a very good passer. So. Yeah, it was a great trade that that Doug Armstrong made with the Rangers, Sammy Blay, and a and a draft choice for for a guy that's going to play in your top six for a lot of years. So, yeah, he's been very impressive, and you know I, I like what he's shown so far. And he he has that instant chemistry with Barbashev and and Tarasenko. So it will be interesting to see down the road if he he plays a lot with those two guys, or you know they mix and match on different lines because of all the injuries, as we know. He's played everywhere, as as every player has played on different units. But he, he's been a really impressive player so far. Another guy, John, that you mentioned who's been impressive for the Blues, especially lately, is Ivan Barbashev. He's been really hot for the team. And he might not be the first name of players that we list off when we're talking about guys that make an impact for the Blues, but he does a lot of things really well for this team. I think that if you took a poll of, of scouts who watch games, and every night at, at the Blues game in the press box, there probably are – between five and 10 NHL scouts and guys that really watch the game and fans who really watch the game, I think he would be considered one of the most underrated players, not only in the Blues, but in the entire NHL. He, he really is. He's, a, he's like a Swiss Army knife. He can do it all. 
it, it seems whatever line he goes on plays better. He, he drives the engine. You know, he's a lot like, you know, Jaden Schwartz when Schwartz was, was playing so well with the blues, wherever he went, um, that line was really good. And, and, you know, not that Barbashev is the same type of player as Schwartz. Schwartz, he's more of a shooter and a, and a four checker, but Barbashev, he's so physical and scoring goals again. I thought he had scored that goal last night, but saw it tipped it in, but he's having a tremendous year. I think his career high is 14 goals. And he's certainly on pace to eclipse that. And John, along those lines of the Swiss army knife, the guy that can do it all, I have a tendency just to have expectations and almost take for granted what Ryan O'Reilly does. And I said to Alex Ferrario last night beforehand, I said, O'Reilly, because of the situation, might play 22 and a half minutes. He wound up playing 22-18, does everything. And as Blues fans, we can't take him for granted because he's one of the more remarkable players in the history of the franchise and that he literally, literally can do anything for you. Yeah, and it, it's not because he just has loads of natural talent, Randy. I mean, he, he obviously does have talent, and he's a smart hockey player, but he might be the hardest-working Blues player that I've seen in a long time. And I say that because of what I observe. And when I go to practice, he's the first guy on the ice, and he's the last guy off the ice. And he's always working with the other players on skills and things like that. So it's not a fluke that Ryan O'Reilly, a former second-round draft trace at Colorado, has turned himself into such a good hockey player it's by hard work you know his father is a skills coach and really a mental coach I, I believe he is still with the San Jose Sharks so a lot of it is is from his dad and, and some of the habits he's come up with and some of the practice things he does so it, it's just a lot of hard work and I don't know where the Blues would be right now without Ryan O'Reilly. And obviously that was maybe the greatest trade in Blues history because he has been fabulous. I agree. Hey, one final thing for John Kelly, who joins us in the Blues booth on 101 ESPN. Team sitting alone in second place in the division now with all of the issues that they've had, whether it be injury or illness. And you can kind of see some light at the end of the tunnel after this month as we head into the new year. Getting past these Florida teams was huge. How do you feel about this team right now, looking ahead to 2022? Well, you're right. It was a tough stretch, Randy. They got five points out of eight against two of the very best teams in the NHL, Tampa Bay and Florida. So they're sitting in in pretty good shape right now. But the bottom line is they still have all these players out. And now Billy Husso gets hurt last night. So now you're down to your third goalie and Charlie Lindgren or Joel Hofer, if they call him up, I would assume they're going to have to call up Hofer, and then you lose Wallman. So I, I think they're still in, in a pickle here, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, it, it's, it's dire right now, Randy, with, with eight players injured. That's just a big number. So even though they're playing teams that aren't quite as good as Florida and Tampa Bay, I think that's obvious. Um, Detroit, though, is a good young team. They beat the Blues the night before Thanksgiving, and – they have a really good rookie in Lucas Raymond. That'll be a tough test. Montreal's coming in, and obviously they've really struggled this year. And then Anaheim, maybe the surprise team out west, um, they beat the Blues 4-1. to So, And then you got to go to Dallas next week. So mm-hmm. even though you might have one break this week with Montreal, but we saw Arizona come in here and beat the Blues. There are no easy games. But, Randy, the bottom line, big picture, the Blues just have to sort of tread water right now, and they somehow have to find a way to get points. And, and obviously, big picture, just get in the playoffs. And that's not a given because there are, you, you look at the standings, there are tons of teams around the St. Louis Blues. You know, you're, you're a five-game losing streak away from being out of the playoffs right now. So they have to tread water until they get the reinforcements back and, and hopefully go on a run. And, 
and get some, you know, padding between themselves and those bottom teams. John Kelly, always great to have you with us. Thanks for the time, and we will be tuned in tomorrow night as the Blues take on the Red Wings. Okay, Randy, thank you. Thanks, Michelle. See you later. That is John Kelly, voice of the Blues on Bally Sports. And he's exactly right. The Blues, I, I say, yeah, sitting in second alone with 30 points. But if Winnipeg wins two in a row and Dallas wins two in a row and Colorado wins two in a row and Nashville wins one and the Blues lose two in a row, then all of a sudden the Blues are in sixth place in the division. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of room for error. No, they they need to keep it rolling, and they just need to keep circling the wagons on a regular basis. Michelle's going to be at Copper Fire in Belleville on Saturday before the Blues play the Canadians. Come out before the game. You're going to be back in your hometown, That's right? That's right, in Belleville. Come hang out. Enjoy 16 drought taps, all served ice cold. Specialty slushies, including the new... Gloria Cocktail Slushie. It's delicious. If you're, co- if you're going to watch the Blues, you need to try this Gloria Cocktail Slushie. It's all happening Saturday, 4 to 6, with Michelle at Copper Fire. Get more details at 101. ESPN.com. Next up, the fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's time for the fight here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Let's welcome in Randy's competition this morning. It's Don. Good morning, Don. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Michelle? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. I appreciate that. Are you excited to take on Randy in the fight today? I'm super excited. I text all the time, and I was just dropped the kids off at the bus and figured, hey, I'll text today. Why not? (laughs) And I got the call. I love it. Today is your day. Okay, now, Andrew, you have been keeping track of how many times Randy has won because he's on a bit of a hot streak lately. What are we looking at? Nine in a row right now. Ooh, nine in a row. We'll see if we can't break that. That's right, Don. Every streak is meant to be broken. Just keep that in mind. I think everyone listening is is pulling for Don today because Randy could get to 10. Double digits. Oh, man, he'll be insufferable if he gets to 10. Don, please beat him today. Not not today. Not today. today. Okay, Don, are you ready? I am. Question number one. When baseball returned after the previous lockout in the mid-90s, fans flew a sign that read, Owners and players, to hell with all of you, over which team's stadium? Was it the Reds, the Yankees, or the White Sox? Ooh... Uh, we're going to go with, that sounds like uh, White Sox. All right, Don. Question number two. Who was the last wide receiver to be drafted number one overall in the NFL draft? Was it Calvin Johnson, Keyshawn Johnson, or Larry Fitzgerald? We're going to go with Keyshawn. Question number three, John, which Cardinals foe and villain had an alter ego named Tony Plush? Was it Niger Morgan, Brandon Phillips, or Adrian Gonzalez? Good list of, of foes and villains there, Andrew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, can, can you say that one one more time, please? Sure. Which Cardinals foe had an alter ego named Tony Plush? Was it Niger Morgan, Brandon Phillips, or Adrian Gonzalez? We'll go with Adrian Gonzalez. All right, last question, Don. Which Blues goaltender? Oh, no, it's not. 
Oh, go ahead. You can change. You can change. <laughs> no, what, what was the second choice? I'm sorry. The options were Niger Morgan, Brandon Phillips, or Adrian Gonzalez. You have a small go window to change here, Don. Yeah, we're going to go to Brandon Phillips. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, Don, last question. Which Blues goaltender holds a single-season record for most wins in a season with 42? Is it Curtis Joseph, Jake Allen, or Roman Turek? Uh, we'll go with Cujo. Okay. Checking our score. Yep, confirmed. Randy is on his way in. Don, how you feeling? Not great. <laughs> the old Mo, not great. I know, it's difficult when you're actually in the hot seat. I think it's much easier when you're listening, driving around. You think, oh, I know this one, I know that one. When oh, the pressure I'm is on. all the time when I'm listening. Of course, but when the pressure <laughs> is on, it's hard. Randy, say good morning to Don. Good morning, Don. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Randy? Doing well. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks for participating today. We appreciate it. Yes, sir. We need participants on the show. Yes, we do. <laughs> Every day. Um, Randy, you've won nine in a row. Today could be number 10. Okay, we'll see. Just wanted to throw that out there. Wish me luck. I will not. I might have helped you out. I wish Don good luck. We're pulling for Don this morning. Sorry, Randy. Question number one. When baseball returned after the previous lockout in the mid-90s, fans flew a sign that read, Owners and players, to hell with all of you, over which team's stadium? Hmm. I I do not remember this. So I (laughs) am going to go... With, okay, I'm going to say that they they might have been able to get airspace over New York. Um, I'll do the lifeline. Take a chance here. Reds, Yankees, White Sox. Okay, they, maybe they could get airspace over New York. Uh, White Sox fans don't care enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I will go Cincinnati. All right, question number two, Randy. Who was the last wide receiver to be drafted number one overall in the NFL draft? Last wide receiver to be. Okay, so let's uh, let's go Keyshawn in 96, okay? And then when the Rams were here, uh, wasn't 97. That was Orlando. It wasn't 98. Um, that was Peyton Manning. When, I, I shouldn't go through everything, but I will. Go ahead. Just uh, through my head. Take your time, Randy. Um, it's like well, the president. I, I shouldn't I do this. Um, yeah. Uh, so in 99, topic in the draft was uh, Tim Couch. 2000, it was Courtney Brown. Uh, 2001 was David Carr. I think 2002. I'm just going to... Uh, 2003, it wasn't wide receiver. 2004. I'm... I'm just going to – Lions have had a lot of number ones but never used number one overall on a wide receiver. Buccaneers have never done it with a wide receiver. Bengals, uh, they used the fourth pick in the draft on Peter Warwick. I'm going to go Keyshawn, 96. Randy, which Cardinals foe had an alter ego named Tony Plush? That was the Brewers had a, a guy named Tony Plush. Yes, well, what was his name? Oh, so now you want to do that, too. What yes. Was what was the the guy's name? The guy's name is um, Niger Morgan. All right, Randy. Which Blues goaltender holds a single season record for most wins in a season with 42? 
42 wins in a season. Uh, okay, the Blues have had a lot of really good years. Was it Turek when they won the President's Trophy in 2000? Uh, was it Grant Fuhr when he played the 76 games? I think I am... Or was it somebody later? One of these... Generally, they had the timeshare with Hitch. I will coin flip here, total coin flip between Fjurzy and Turek, and I'm going to go with uh, Roman Turek. Did Don stop the streak? Or did Randy get 10 in a row? Andrew, ring the bell. I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. A f***ing 10. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. <laughs> Just win, baby. <laughs> Not only did Randy win his 10th in a row, he got all four correct. No way. He got all four correct. He's on fire. He's he didn't on fire. get on fire. He didn't get the jack because he used the lifeline, but he beat Don four to one. I'm sorry, Don. Randy That's just okay. can't be stopped. But thank you for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you guys. Have a great day. You too. So in the nineties, after the previous lockout, fans flew a sign that read, Owners and players, to hell with all of you over the Red Stadium. It was the Reds. Keyshawn Johnson was the last wide receiver to be drafted number one overall in the NFL draft. The Cardinals foe slash villain who had an alter ego named Tony Plus Plush was Niger Morgan. And I Googled this during the fight because I wanted to get the tweet exactly right. You remember that September battle between the Brewers and the Cardinals when Niger Morgan threw a wad of tobacco at Chris Carpenter and yeah. then he tweeted about an Albert Rush you know, to get involved. And he tweeted after the game, Alberta couldn't see plush if she had her gloves on. What was she thinking running after plush? She never been in the ring. Ooh. And then the Cardinals wound up beating them, if I'm not mistaken, in the 2011 NLCS. Correct. And then got their own ring. That is right. (laughs) And um, he said Tony plush was his self-appointed, quote, gentleman's name. Yeah. Tony plush. You'll be watching from the couch. That's right. Like that. It was the couch plush because that's yeah. where you've been. Um, and the Blues goaltender that holds the single season record for most wins in a season with 42 is, in fact, Roman Turek. Congratulations, Randy. Quite the streak you have going on. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate welcome. that. You're welcome. Uh, good questions, too. Fun questions from Andrew. Coming up next, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis. Save up to 20% on a great selection of service loaners. It is time now for... You're killing me, Smalls. I have a bit of interesting news coming out of the NFL. Ooh, we love it. Well, it's a stat, really, or a projection. But according to ESPN's Football Power Index, a Buccaneers-Patriots Super Bowl is now the most likely matchup Mm. for the Super Bowl with a 10% chance. Who's saying that? ESPN's Football Power Index. That's what they want. I mean, they're, they're, what, 90 minutes from New England? And they love Tom Brady, so I can see why they would think that that's cool. But 
No, it's just according to the the numbers. Both yeah, both they, teams sitting at the top of they, obviously they, their division. And they've their got their QBR conference. that thinks that uh, like Matthew Stafford is awesome, even though he throws a bunch of pick sixes. This is but this is not, this is just what is most likely to happen. The matchup today that is most likely to happen: Bucks Patriots. I I want it, Randy. I want it badly. Yeah. I want to see the rematch. Although I wouldn't mind seeing Mahomes against Rodgers either. I wouldn't be mad at that. I wouldn't be mad at Aaron Rodgers' final ride in Green Bay. But there's also a part of me that would love for him to not make it to the Super Bowl and then leave and go elsewhere and realize he was in a pretty good spot. Yeah. That'd be interesting. It'd be fun. I just... what's it, it, Like they say, it's got a 10%. I wonder who... I wonder if the football power index, how accurate it really is. Because... What gives a team a 78% chance to win, really? Well, they're looking at there probably a lot of factors going into that number. Their remaining schedule, what they've done. But I wonder if, like, they can project left tackles getting injured. Well, no, of course you can't. But you're looking at win probability, which is a, a skewed, you know, projection anyway. But right. 10% chance. We it, should just embrace this. It, what they should do, if they have a lot of faith in that win What's it called again? FPI? Football Power Index. Football Power Index. FPI. They should bet. How much money does Disney have? A lot. Billions, in fact. They should bet all of it on their the football game, the NFL game, that they feel the best about with the Football Power Index. They should put all of Disney's money on it some weekend. I feel some animosity here, Randy. You're not liking that the Patriots and the Buccaneers are the likely Super Bowl matchup. I always question the football power index because the nature of the NFL is that anything can happen on any given Sunday. That's true. And I could say that I think there's a 15% chance of it being... Kansas City and Green Bay, and I can be just as accurate as they can. It's kind of like a weatherman yeah, or a weather exactly. woman. Yeah. You can have all of the data and all of the Doppler in front of you, <laughs> exactly. but weather can change on a dime. Yeah, it's great. It's not that they're bad at their jobs. It's just weather can be unpredictable. Totally. Just totally. like sports can be unpredictable. Yeah. But you were up in Bristol. They want Brady against the Patriots, don't they? America wants Brady against Not the all Patriots. Of America. I'm telling you, it. America hates Belichick in New England. They will hate watch it. They but will the, hate watch it. If you go, and Andrew, you can weigh in here. If you ask a thousand football fans if they want to see the Patriots in the Super Bowl, nine uh, uh, across America, 950 are saying no. And the 50 that are are up in New England. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing them in. I would love to see them lose in the Super Bowl. I think I'll I think that's the caveat to all of it because I'm a huge storyline person. So like, yes, I love storylines. Like last year, you had the goat against the up and coming goat. It's the a great storyline. Terrible so, game, but would you like to see the rematch then of the Rams and the Patriots? No, but I think that people are interested in the Patriots specifically versus the Buccaneers because of what Andrew is saying. Because it's Brady versus Belichick. I don't think people are cheering for. Patriots Packers. I don't think people want the Pats in. I think they specifically would watch this gotcha. matchup because it's the most winningest duo in NFL history. I mean, we're talking about a divorce that we're watching legacies play out in real time. Brady 
clearly has one huge notch in his favor to watch Belichick not only get a chance to win without Brady, but to beat Brady in the process. I mean, that's a storyline that you can you can't write a story better than that. I've always wanted to see Gronk versus Devin McCourty, so I guess I'm on board with it. <laughs> I, I, the thing, like with the storylines, if it was, let's just say it's the Bucks and the Packers again in the NFC Championship, and then we have the Chiefs and the Patriots. I have no desire to watch the Packers play the Patriots, but I would love to see the pa- the Packers play the Chiefs or the Chiefs to play the Buccaneers again because of the the storylines that it brings. Yeah, I think you're right that generally people around the country are sick of Boston teams in general mm-hmm. winning, but I think for this one specific matchup, it would be very riveting. I, I've seen enough of Bill Belichick Super Bowl week. I don't want to hear from him again. We're on to the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls. I want it. I want it badly. I know you And do. maybe it's because I just read that book, but boy, do I want it. I think it would be unreal. Okay, well, let's talk about the Washington football team. So Ryan Fitzpatrick, he played just one game in 2021. You probably remember the Washington season opener against the L.A. Chargers. He went down with that hip injury, and then according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network yesterday, Ryan Fitzpatrick set to undergo orthoscopic surgery on his hip. That ends his season, and Randy, take it or leave it, it also ends his career. I'm going to take it. It happens to old people. They break their hips. (laughs) And he's pretty old for an NFL quarterback. But he had. I mean, uh, we're not in like life alert yeah. status here, okay? Right, true. <laughs> seventh round choice. He's 39. Yeah, seventh round choice of the St. Louis Rams. By the way, how about the fact that there's still four former St. Louis Rams quarterbacks in the NFL? Okay, so you've got Fitzpatrick, you've got Nick Foles, mm-hmm. you've got. Okay, give me the other. There's, uh, there's an obvious one that I'm missing. You've got Case Keenum. Case Keenum. Okay, who's the fourth? And uh, hold on, let me get this. Sean Mannion. There you go, Sean, Sean Mannion. Sean Mannion, Well, Andrew. well played, Viking. V- very good, yeah. Viking. Sean Mannion. He, how about that? How Sean Mannion. Yeah. So Fitz, yeah, I, I, I think that is a career ender, but he had a nice run. Seventh round pick in 05. Wow. He's been in the league for 17 seasons. He's played for nine different teams. Good use of that Harvard education. That's right, but Fitz Magic. We've, we've seen some fun moments out of him, and I, I would just imagine... 39 years old, knowing that you're not going to be a starter anywhere, and the thought of that rehab, I would be done. I wonder if he goes to broadcasting or Wall Street. I don't know. He could probably do both. He was threatening the Jets a few years ago, and he said when the Jets made an offer of like $6.5 million, he said, all my college friends are making more than that. I'm not going to sign for that. That's true. They probably (laughs) are. Those finance bros, they rake in the cash. right. You know, there's all of these guys that are retiring now that want to get into media, and there's a lot of seats at the media table, but some are much better than others. And I think he would be really good. Yeah, he would be great. No doubt about it. You're killing me, Smalls. A big acquisition for LSU. New LSU head coach Brian Kelly. He is really rounding out his staff, and he landed a big one, Randy. He hired former LSU assistant and current McNeese State head coach Frank Wilson to be on his field staff, and Wilson is known as one of the best recruiters in the nation, and he especially knows how to recruit Louisiana, and he's going to be a huge, huge component in Brian Kelly's staff. Do you have any doubt that they're going to be good, even though none of his assistants from Notre Dame went with him? Do you have any doubt about 
Brian Kelly winning, maybe not a national championship, but succeeding at LSU. I no. don't have any doubt about it. No, because they're going to give him every resource possible. Yeah. He's obviously proven that he's a really good coach. You know that he can recruit. He's getting guys like Wilson on his staff that are going to help him acclimate to the SEC and acclimate yeah. to Louisiana. There's a lot of talent there. I know he'll have success. Now, will he win a national championship? That's another question. But I know that he's going to be put in the position to do that. Agreed. I'm with you. You're killing me, Smalls. And finally, Randy, some sad news out of the horse racing world. Kentucky Derby first place finisher Medina Spirit died this week. Suffered a sudden death after working five furlongs at Santa Anita. R.I.P. Medina Spirit. Because, like... Those horses have the best retirement in all of sports. Three point five million in in career earnings for Medina Spirit. Too, uh, just by the on way. the track. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that's a, it's a shame that Medina Spirit didn't get an opportunity to enjoy retirement as much of as some of its uh, colleagues. Stud fees. Yeah, those are getting paid for it. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up next. It has been a great week for Curtis Francois, the owner of uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway. We're going to talk to him next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Here for St. Louis. Here to help you achieve more with your money. Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker and Curtis Francois, the owner and operator of uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway, has done great things for the St. Louis community for years and is being honored for those. He's had, had a very big week. And Curtis joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Curtis, it's always good to hear your voice. And first of all, happy holidays. How you doing? Oh, Randy, I'm doing great. Great to be with you guys. Uh, it certainly has been an exciting week. There's no doubt about it. Well, let's talk about that, Curtis. You received the Jack Buck Award at the Missouri Athletic Club's Jack Buck Awards. What did that mean to you? Well, I think just to be uh, mentioned in the same sentence with Jack Buck uh, is something that I'll never forget. Uh, but it really meant so much for, for my staff and all of those that have been really pulling the rope uh, with me over all these years to, to, to make a difference. And, uh you know, all that hard work is coming together, and, uh, you know, we just expect uh, uh, the best is yet to come, honestly. But uh, really just to be uh, at that at that awards banquet was, was certainly a highlight of my career so far. It was really great. And we're going to ask about some of the things going on at the track in the next calendar year. But also, in addition to winning that Jack Buck Award at the MAC the other night, you are announced as the 7th Annual Comcast Community Champion of the Year. You received the award for your work in – with the Raceway Gives Foundation, and that lifts up individuals and military families here in the area who are seeking to fulfill their potential. So you must be really proud of that. I know how much you've put into the community and how much the Raceway puts into the community. And really, that's one of the big reasons that you do what you do, isn't it? Well, no doubt that, you know, Worldwide Technology Raceway is has been working uh, for years in, in our area there. And more than ever, we see that we can be a catalyst for change in uh, in the Metro East and the St. Louis region, and so, you know, just I'm just so grateful to have our mission recognized by Comcast 
and NASCAR and you know as the uh, Comcast Community Champion of the Year. That's a national award, and again, it shines the light not on me by any stretch. I, I don't like the limelight at all, but I can tell you that it shines the light back on. Uh, our mission. It shines light back on the St. Louis region and how charitable that we are. And, uh, you know, that's neat nationally. It's a different type of award uh, than Jack Buck, but that certainly was recognized uh, at the uh, uh, NASCAR championship uh, ceremony that was held in Nashville. And uh, neat for so many across the country to see what we all know that St. Louis is truly the best sports town in the country. Well, speaking of that, Curtis, I wanted to ask you about the NASCAR Cup Series race. It was announced that it's coming to Worldwide Technology Raceway. What's the fan response been since that announcement? Well, it's it's. I'm not going to say it's overwhelming, but it's close to. It has been just awesome. Um, really neat to see uh, that the city start to embrace and understand what what this means. I mean, the Cup race coming to St. Louis. It's about a sixty million dollar impact to our area for the for the weekend and we're going to get that every year and so i think that that again will will lead to uh, the opportunity just to do great things in our community um not to mention the you know there's 80 million um nascar fans throughout the united states and the world and 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 you know 200 con- uh, countries uh 25 languages uh, represented in all of that you know it's just amazing to see that that's all coming to, to St. Louis, and that we're going to be in the limelight once again. And I know in advance of that weekend in June, there's been a lot of work going on to the racetrack. Can you tell us about the improvements that have been made? Well, it's super important that as we have new fans coming and also our core fans that have been coming for years, that they have a great experience. So naturally, uh, that's just part of my uh, – people call me, at least my employees, seem to think that I'm a neat neck or uh, let's just say detail oriented or whatever it may be. But wherever the fans touch, see, feel as they come into the, into the facility uh, June 5th, 2022, they're going to see that, that there's been attention paid to paid to the details of making sure that their experience is great. So from the time they park their car and our, our all new 15,000 parking lot, uh, 15,000 car parking lot to the time they are sitting in their seat. It should be a great experience for them. Curtis Francois, he is the owner of Worldwide Technology Raceway. And Curtis, heck, we've been talking about getting an NASCAR event here in the St. Louis area since the mid-90s. It's been a quarter of a century. How did you make this happen? Well, you know, it was really the long game, uh, Randy, that I think is, is what, what, what needed to be played here. And, and Really, it started, honestly, with relationships, uh, starting to get to know the folks down in Daytona, uh, which led to uh, ultimately, uh, you know, building relationships uh, with the France family and uh, bringing them to St. Louis on several occasions so that they could understand our culture here, uh, get, you know, really get to, to feel uh, what a great sports town feels like. And so over the years, we've just continued with that process. And it, it culminated in, in being awarded the cup date. And uh, it, it was a long time coming. It's something that wasn't just surprised me. It was something that we've been really building towards for years. And you have put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and pride into your Bomberito Automotive Group 500. That takes place coming up on August 20th. We don't want people to think that that's going away. Your racetrack really is becoming a summertime destination for people in the region, isn't it? Yes, and I'll tell you that that you mentioned the Bomberito 500. I, you know, I certainly want to mention it, mention John Bomberito, who has 
come alongside us to help promote that race uh, like no other uh, title sponsor does. You know, that, that comes from a pride in St. Louis, and it shows in, in the way that he interacts come time for the Bomberito 500. That race, by the way, has, has grown to be the largest oval race outside of the Indianapolis 500. Uh, so that is, is successful. We just, we just signed a new five-year agreement with IndyCar. That's going to be a stable in our summertime entertainment for years to come. And it's what we need. You know, we want a strong, vital racing community here. Hey, before we let you go, I want to ask about ticket availability for the NASCAR race. Are they available yet? And if not, when do those tickets become available to the public? Those tickets go on sale uh, later this week uh, to the public. So uh, it is absolutely time to, to be ready to pull the trigger. Um, you know, we've got pre-sales were going on to groups that had, had season tickets and, and the like, and those have been very, very robust. Uh, so it's time to be thinking uh, NASCAR in June and, and get, your, get yourself your tickets. Great stocking stuffer. Great holiday gift. I like the way you think. <laughs> Curtis, congratulations. The Jack Buck Award and also the Comcast Community Champion of the Year. So well-deserved. Thanks so much for joining us. We love having you on, and we appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Great to be with you all. All right, Curtis, take care. Curtis Francois, he is the owner of Worldwide Technology Raceway, and uh, there's been a group of people that have worked so hard to get that track to where it is, and obviously Curtis leads the way, mm -hmm. but the... Indy Race has become a great part of the St. Louis sports calendar, and I, with the way they do things, they, they do it right. I'm sure the NASCAR race will be just the same. I'm sure it will be spectacular, and as Curtis said, the fan response to it, they want to make sure to provide that experience for the fans because a lot of people are already buying tickets to yeah. this event. Go to www.wtraceway.com for more information. Next up. Why does Major League Baseball feel the need to get rid of the players' names and likenesses on their website? Is it kind of silly? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> gone to MLB.com, you've noticed that there are no pictures of players and really no mention of players. Same thing if you go to MLB Network. They really have gotten rid of all the likenesses of all the players. And I know, Michelle, that they are involved in a labor dispute and they don't want players coming after them saying, you can't use my name image likeness. I get why they're doing it. It's just sort of goofy and silly, isn't it? Well, if that's the case, then why can we still buy jerseys? Why can baseball still be profiting off jersey sales that obviously have players' names on the back? Because the MLB Players Association benefits. They've got a, a con. Well, I don't know. With, the, with no CBA, that's a great question. Do the players still get the money from that part of their name? great question. I don't know why we would still be able to buy a jersey. I don't know. It seems uh, just a little silly and petty to me that all of the photos will be scrubbed off websites and we have to say Cardinals first first baseman bobblehead day, but someone's still making money off jersey sales? How does that compute? Because no. it doesn't for me, but oh, that's right. It's all about money. Right. <laughs> and 
last week there was all kinds of news about free agent signings. Right now, the top five headlines at MLB.com are what to know for Wednesday's Rule 5 draft. They're still going to have a minor league Rule 5 draft. Mets to interview six for manager's job. Yankees number one prospect. Durham Bulls unveil Bull Durham uniforms. And six candidates emerge for A's skipper. So you don't have anything about Max Scherzer being interested in Buck Showalter being the next manager of the Mets, where you should have that at MLB.com. That's just, it's ridiculous as far as I'm concerned. It's bad business. Yeah, it is. Promote your product. Promote your product, especially after you just had this incredible flurry of activity. There's fans out there that are really interested in all of this. And this is just another component of how baseball doesn't understand their place in things and how they're making it more complicated for themselves. And I know, of course, Major League Baseball is going to say because of legal ramifications, we're taking every possible precaution to protect ourselves. But it all circles back to the same issue for me, and that's baseball not reading the room when it comes to fan engagement and taking something away from the fans or lessening the fan experience. And how often do we talk about baseball needing a face of the sport? Now you have literally no faces. You've taken all of your faces of the sport off of your website. And just to tell you what's going on here. The players have been scrubbed from the league's website and content ecosystem. Their headshots removed from the rosters, their highlights hidden, their names wiped from the promotional schedules. For example, April 30th is right now listed as Cardinal third baseman bobblehead day at Bush Stadium. Team social media accounts have quieted. The Cardinals didn't even congratulate Jim Cott on making it to the Hall of Fame. Uh, They have ceased referencing players at all. The league's Twitter account went nearly three days without activity this weekend. MLB Network, as Greg Amzinger told us, and MLB.com employees instructed to mostly avoid mentioning active 40-man players' names on the air or in articles for the duration of the lockout. So the Cardinals tweeted about Cott and Minoso heading to Cooperstown. Oh, they finally did. Okay, They good. did on December 6th, yes. And then the last tweet prior to that was the letter about the CBA and obviously everything that was going on. That was on December 2nd. So you, you've just got goofiness. And you know what? I think you can be better. I, I don't think that you need to take it this far. And the players obviously have taken to it because they're putting shadow images of themselves up on their Twitter accounts now too as a joke but what baseball is doing is a joke and it really causes me to lose respect for the baseball front office not that i had a ton for that group led by rob manfred anyway but they are so petty and big time yeah that just bothers me oh yeah they're definitely petty um this is about to as the day is on the calendar once we get to new year's this is going to get ugly because things are going to start leaking in the media once these talks intensify and I know what MLB was doing and trying to protect themselves from a legal standpoint and throwing a sprinkling of petty in there. But if I'm the players, I'm looking at baseball and I'm saying, when you remove us from the equation, you have nothing. Look at what your website is right now. So maybe you should listen to what we want and need and come to the table because without us, you're nothing. And if you are the Cardinals, just as an example, and I know they've kind of shut her down during the lockout, but why not do something every day. We talked about Jordan Walker and Mm -hmm. Juan Yapez and Matthew Libertor earlier today. So right now they've got the five all-time best season by Cardinal pitchers and the best of Scott Rowland, which nothing wrong with that. But why not have a prospect of the day? And 
tell us more about Jordan Walker. Tell us more about Matthew Libertor. Tell us more about Juan Yepes. Why not let us engage with the guys that you are allowed to talk about rather than going back? Let's look forward. Yeah, that's a good idea. And maybe that's coming. They obviously, Randy, have a lot of time to fill. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't envy them in that situation. It's like us. Our show started during the pandemic. We had to do a sports show without no, without any sports. We know what it's like to have to come up with content when whatever you use for content is not available. It's difficult. And oh, by the way, I find it ridiculous and it's bothersome to me. And I don't know if it'll have a long term effect because we aren't missing anything right now. But why aren't they talking? Why haven't they been talking every single day since this lockout started? Why isn't the Players Association getting together with the owners? And I don't know who's blocking this, but why aren't they negotiating every single day? Well, that circles back to my main question is if the deadline was on 11.59 Eastern Standard Time on December 1st, why was that not the deadline? Why are people not treating that as the actual deadline and working with a sense of urgency? And I know that it's posturing, it's positioning yourself to get what you want. But if that you should have been avoiding this at all costs. You should have been having these conversations ramp up leading up to that date rather than waiting for it to pass and using spring training and or opening day as the actual deadline to get it done. You should have been protecting your product and getting it done when the actual deadline was looming. Would have made sense. You think? A couple of notes on the text line, 65780 from the 314. Can teams hire managers during the lockout, or is that restricted too? They are allowed to hire managers. They just can't do anything that's associated with the Major League Baseball Players Association. And that's why the A's and the Mets are going through that process right now. And this one from the 314, they know we'll come crawling back, though. True, we will. We always have. Well, we will. St. Louis will. I just wonder about, obviously, there's a spectrum of fan interest, and I think a lot of people are in the mid to low level range of baseball interest, especially a lot of young people, and I wonder if they'll care. The NBA ends in mid-June, so does the NHL, and the NFL basically starts in mid-July, so baseball will have a month. We'll be at that NASCAR race. Mm -hmm. We've got things to do even in St. Louis, so I think... Baseball owners should be worried about getting the nation back. Hey, you can join in the holiday spirit by donating to this year's Carriker and Smallman 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser. It supports Operation Food Search. Donate at least $25 online between now and December 13th, and you're going to get a complimentary 101 ESPN Blues T-Shirt, a koozie, and a sticker as a gift for your donation. Score a 101 ESPN shirt, a koozie, and a sticker, and your $25 donation helps Operation Food Search serve the metro area during this critical time of year. Thanks to our presenting sponsors of this year's 12 Days of T-Shirts campaign, American Standard Heating and Cooling Contractors and McBride Homes. And Michelle, a special thank you to Allstate agent Tracy Bibb today for making a donation match of $500 to the 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser. Find all the details on this year's 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser now at 101ESPN.com. We have Thursday night football going on tomorrow. You've got the Steelers and the Vikings, and we've got some basketball, too. Kevin Kugler of Westwood One Sports joins us to talk about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We 
Michelle Swalman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. You hear the name of Kevin Kugler. You hear the voice of Kevin Kugler a lot on our station. He is the voice of so many things on Westwood One, including Thursday night football tomorrow night. He also has Minnesota and Michigan State on Big Ten Network tonight at 8 o'clock. And Kevin is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. Thanks for taking some time with us. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. How are you? Everything's terrific here in St. Louis. Uh, I want to start with this tomorrow. Kind of an uh, unusual game, and I guess it's a late-season game, but you have a beat-up Minnesota team against a Pittsburgh team that I'm not sure I know what it is, whether they're, they're the team of two weeks ago or the team of last weekend. I, I still don't have the Steelers. I don't have either of these teams figured out for tomorrow night. I, I've seen the Steelers in person this year. I've watched them on tape. I've watched them on TV. I have no idea what you get every week from this team. They've, they've obviously had a lot of injuries this year, and Ben Roethlisberger looks to be on the uh, the far backside of his career. He's not playing at a Pro Bowl level by any stretch of the imagination this year. But here they are, and, and this is credit to Mike Tomlin. They're 6-5-1. They're and one. They're right in the thick of the playoff hunt. Heck, they're right in the thick of the division hunt still. And they go out here to Minnesota and take on a banged-up Vikings team on a short week coming off a disappointing loss. They may not have Dalvin Cook. Doesn't look like Adam Thielen's going to be able to go on a short week. So two giant weapons out of the lineup for the Vikings. This favors the Steelers tomorrow night. Kevin, Randy and I were just talking about how ESPN has the Patriots and Buccaneers as the most likely Super Bowl matchup right now. It seems like both teams are on a collision course for a Brady-Belichick Super Bowl matchup. But what do you think? Would you pick both of those teams to get to the Super Bowl? You know, Michelle, and, that, and thats I, I agree with you. That seems to be the consensus that a lot of people, and I think they're sort of wish-casting that, like, <laughs> oh, what a great storyline this would be for two weeks to talk about that. But I, I do think that, and I know they don't have the experience on the big stage. I've seen them several times this year. The Arizona Cardinals are the real deal. I would not sleep on them. Now, until Tom Brady has decided he's not going to play football anymore, I'd probably still pick Tom Brady in any sort of an NFC championship matchup. But this Cardinals team might be the most balanced team in the league. They've got a potent offense, especially with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins back. They've got a defense that's a top-five-level defense, even without J.J. Watt, who may be able to sneak back into the lineup before the end of the season. I, I know the Brady Belichick thing is one that everybody loves from a storyline standpoint. And heck I do too, but the notion of Arizona and Tampa, two very different styles, two different levels of experience in an NFC championship game. I'm, I'm kind of excited about that first. Kevin Kugler of Westwood one with us on one one ESPN, also big 10 network. He's got action tonight and he also does games on Fox and you had the Rams last weekend, Kevin. So the Rams and the Arizona Cardinals next week on Monday night football, uh, we know the Rams have a chance. We want them to lose here. In the St. Louis Bowl, we favor the Cardinals <laughs> over the Rams. But who do you like better among those two on Monday night? Uh, I like the Cardinals because uh, the Rams, to me, are very inconsistent. I, they're another team that I look at and I say, boy, they should be better than this. And they really aren't. Their month in November, they went winless. I know that disappointed so many people in the St. Louis area <laughs> when they went winless in the month of November. And they just really could never get a stop. Their defense was struggling, gave up over 30 points per game over November. They had the get-well game against the Jaguars that we did last weekend on Fox, and I, I don't know how much you can read into that. The Jaguars are a mess. They don't really have anything going for them, offense, defense, special teams. It's all sort of just chaos right now with the Jaguars. And the Rams did what you're supposed to do when you're a team that's better than another team. They beat them soundly. But I don't know that I take a whole lot from that in how they can 
use that against the Cardinals. They got a little confidence, but the Cardinals already have one win against the Rams this year. Cardinals are a supremely confident team with a supremely confident offense. I, I really like that Cardinals offense against a Rams defense that's been pretty leaky over the last month. Kevin, a team that's sitting on the bubble in the playoff picture is the Colts, and they look like a team that if they get in could be really dangerous, but I just don't know if I can trust them. I just don't know if they get in, if I have confidence in Carson Wentz, even though he's been accurate lately, that if it matters on the big stage that he can deliver. So tell me, do you trust the Colts? I trust them to a degree. And, Michelle, the question that I have about the Colts is, Will you will you let me know if the run game, which has been so good in the regular season with Jonathan Taylor, who is a spectacular running back, will that carry over to a playoff run? Because if they can run the ball, that takes so much pressure off Carson Wentz, and it doesn't force him to have to make all of those plays that you have to make when you don't have that run game. So if they've got that run game and a defense that's able to be portable throughout the playoffs when they have to go on the road, if you tell me that goes with them to the postseason, yeah, then I trust them. If you tell me that teams are going to be able to shut that down and force Carson Wentz to beat him, I'm kind of in your camp on that one. I'm like, I don't know if that's exactly how I want to go. I will say he's much better with Frank Reich. That's a much better marriage than what he's had in previous stops. So maybe I trust him a little more than I used to, but I trust him a lot more if you tell me Jonathan Taylor is able to run the ball in the postseason like he has in the regular season. And, Kevin, they're healthier now than they've been all season. They're better. The Chiefs, because of their defense's emergence, they're better than they have been all season long. What's the best team you've seen? Uh, best team I've seen probably is Arizona. I, I will say I, I say that with a little hesitation because I also know that they don't have the long track record of some of these teams. We've got Tampa in a couple weeks. I'm anxious to see them in person and see – just how good this team is. I think they're really good, uh, but I haven't seen them in person yet. I would say it's Arizona right now. I thought San Francisco was a team that would be when I saw them at the beginning of the season, and then they had that midseason lull, so I was kind of disappointed for them as to what their season turned into. But Arizona, to me, is just a complete team right now. They And they were able to withstand the injuries to both Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, and Colt McCoy was able to salvage a good month for them at the quarterback position. That tells me they're more than just those two dynamic players, but obviously they're much better with those two dynamic players in the lineup. Kevin, I'm going to give you a little background before I ask you my next question. After the Rams were taken from St. Louis, Randy and I tried to adopt a team, and we had our listeners vote on it, and we settled on the Dolphins. We, so we are a Dolphins <laughs> show. And after a, a shaky start, to say the least, for the Dolphins, a lot of drama surrounding them, they peel off five wins in a row. So do you think Tua is going to be the guy long-term for the Dolphins? I don't know, and I know I'm saying this on a Dolphins show, Michelle, so i got to be careful with what I say because of the legion of Dolphins fans that are listening to this. That's right. I don't know that two is the long-term solution. He certainly doesn't seem to be the long-term solution when you hear about all the efforts that were made to try to go get another quarterback when the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes was going on before the trade deadline. That, to me, is an indicator that maybe if, even if we as all Dolphins fans on this show, if we all think Tua might be the guy – I don't know that the front office thinks Tua is the guy. They're going out to try to get a better quarterback at that position. I will say this. I think Tua's played pretty well this year. He's made plays when they've needed him to make them. And this Dolphins team, because we have expanded playoffs and because there are not a lot of great teams, there's a whole lot of middle-of-the-road teams this year, they're right in the thick of things again. They're on the periphery, obviously. It's a long shot. 
but they're still in the conversation. And a good chunk of that is because two has made some plays down the stretch to help this Dolphins team stay in a position where they can at least be relevant in the final month of the season. And speaking of allegiances, Kevin, I went to Illinois. A lot of people listening here went to Illinois. I know you were on the call for the Illinois-Iowa college basketball game this week. Big win for Illinois. So tell me what you've seen in Illinois so far this season. What do you think uh, they they look like? How do they stack up as a potential tournament team? I, I, I you're, you're in my wheelhouse now because I think this team's fantastic. Uh, I just what they were able to do, and I and Iowa, I think, is a very good team, and they're not the team they were last year when they had Luca Garza and Wieskamp and all these guys who are pros. But I think they're a really good, they're a very different team. And to go out there and win like they did, and really it was one stretch where Iowa had a big run of 21-2. to two. Outside of that, Illinois was in control the entirety of that game, and they're in control without their best point guard, Andre Curbelo. And I, and I know Illinois fans may be looking at this going, oh, who, who needs Andre Curbelo? You need Andre Curbelo. Mm-hmm. Trust me on this. The man is a d- dynamic ball handler. I know he turns it over some but he makes plays that nobody else in this game can make. Kofi Coburn is, he's, his game is so much better than it was even last year. And he was so dominant at times last year. You've got just you, Plummer was raining threes the other night. I, I think this team has everything you need to make the run that we all thought they were going to make last year. I had the call on Westwood one last year in their loss in the tournament to Loyola. And I was stunned by that. I had watched them all season long, did a ton of games of Illinois last year. And I, couldn't believe what I was watching Same. when Loyola took them <laughs> apart like that. I'm sure, Michelle, I was sitting in the arena going, I can't believe this is happening. I never thought I would see Illinois get shut down like this. I think they're a better team this year, even without Io, who I think is just fantastic. But I really do think this team has the chance to go a long, long way. Kevin, it was unbelievable, and it still is. Michelle hates Sister Jean. <laughs> hey, I understand if you cannot if you cannot allow your emotions to completely cloud you even when it comes to an elderly nun, I believe in that as a fan. You should abs no, you should not like Sister Jean. She ruined what could have been an Illinois Final Four team. It could have been a national championship, Kevin. Did you hear the pregame speech? She ha- yeah, laid out the blueprint. Him. She put in an ass to the big man upstairs is tampering. Okay. I don't want to hear yeah. anything else. It's tampering. There's no question about that, Michelle. And <laughs> Sister Jean ruined the lives of Illini fans everywhere. I mean, no, no one should like her. I mean, I don't. You don't have to celebrate bad things happening to her, but at the same time, you don't have to hope for good things to happen <laughs> for her either. Thank you, Kevin, for understanding. <laughs> Kevin, we we love your work. We hear you a lot, obviously. As I said at the outset of the interview on uh, Westwood One and here on 101 ESPN. Great to have you with us, and hopefully, we can do it again sometime. I hope so too, Randy, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Have a great day. Kevin Kugler, he does great work on the NFL and college basketball. He's the voice of the Final Four on Westwood One. Yeah, he's outstanding, and I love what he said about Illinois basketball because I think a lot <laughs> a lot of Illinois fans losing a lot of important components, including Io DeSumo, did not know what yeah. this team would look like. And he's absolutely right. Andre Curbelo, electric, engine yeah. of the team in a lot of ways. But um, that, he was a really fun interview. He was yeah. Kevin was great. He was great. Coming up next, we're going to cross things over with Danny Mac, the crossover leading to the Danny Mac Show here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Kevin Kugler, at least that's what the text line is saying. 
from the 618. This guy's a great interview. We're going to have him on again, by the way. He was awesome. Uh, another one, OMG, I love this guy. That's from the 636. And another one from the 636 that says, if I ever see Sister Jean, I'm going to punch her right in the face. Michelle? I, w- I will not physically assault Sister Jean. I'm not going to go that far. But I might have some words for her. Strongly worded. I would just say, Sister, explain yourself. It is tampering. Just explain yourself. Improper benefits, whatever you want to call it. For you a college called, game, yeah, it was. You called in a favor to the big man upstairs. I don't appreciate what you did. I mean, I, there you go. <laughs> but I'm not going to assault her. She's probably a little not closer to the lard than Kurt Warner. But how could the big man upstairs excuse the Rams losing Super Bowl 36 when essentially you've got the devil against <laughs> Kurt Warner? How can he excuse that? I don't know if he did excuse it. Danny Mac is here getting ready for the Danny Mac show. I stay out of these conversations. I don't I don't get into that. Do you believe in karma, guys? Sure. I do. I do too. And so waiting, do, waiting, waiting patiently. Don't you think karma will come? I don't know what it will be, but it's going to come at some point. For Enos? For Enos, for the Patriots, everyone that was cheating. Yes, they got the tapes were burned, but they got fined. Like something, though, if you're cheating someone out of money or out of a victory, something is coming to you. Agreed. Sleep with one eye open. That's all I'm saying. So, sister, how many? Uh, I was trying to think, <laughs> how many uh, uh, Super Bowls Bill Belichick now is? How many Super Bowls have there been? Fifty-six uh, is coming up, maybe. Fifty-six is, that, is coming up. Correct. So he was a defensive coordinator with the Giants, right? For two wins. Right. And with the Patriots for a loss. Yep. So, and they won six with him as the head coach. So he's been right. a part of nine three. or ten. I think he's been part of a dozen. A dozen. That's incredible. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, 20% of your Super Bowls, he's had a hand in in Thank a major you, way. Parcells. Yeah. Wow. Guy can coach. That's what, like, like when people were saying, you know, well, if, if, Belichick meets up with Brady, which it looks like it may happen. I mean, it's a shot, right, mm-hmm. this year. It'd be like, well, you know, Bill can get his uh, revenge or even the score. And I'm like, well, really? I mean, he's been a part of double figures of Super Bowls with mm-hmm. or without Tom Brady. Right? Right. I mean, he's, yeah. he's had a big hand in it. So here's what amazing I'll give coach. him the, the greatest amount you of know? credit that I can give Bill Belichick is this. Is that, and he wants guys that'll show up on Sunday. And Lawrence Taylor had an issue or two when he was a member of the Giants. But did he show up on Sunday? Well, that's the thing. He would show up and sleep through the meetings, but then he would be a monster on Sunday. And Belichick was fine with it. I I would have been too. I think there's certain guys that you have to be more lenient with than others. Right, and if they're producing it at the bottom, hey, at the end of the day, you either do or you don't. Right? Mm-hmm. He's not doing it on Wednesday. Doesn't happen on Thursday. But you show up on Sunday and you're you're putting out and putting out big numbers and you're helping your team win. Okay, I can live with it. I, think, I would pull him aside and say yeah. we'd prefer that you maybe do it this way, or for the longevity of your career potentially to take care of your body. Mm-hmm. These are some things that maybe you might might want to think about because your earnings potential. Try to maybe. Give him a, a carrot to go for here, a little dangling carrot there to to get after. But at the end of the day, if I'm the head coach, I don't care. 
I think my favorite example of that that we saw in the last dance was when Phil Jackson let Dennis Rodman during the Bulls 97-98 season just go to Vegas for Mm -hmm. a vendor. And he he knew that this was a different player that needed to go out and do this, but that when he came back, he was going to produce. And you have to know what your players need, and you have to know how to manage that. And sometimes you've got to let your players – I don't like to say the inmates run the asylum, but sometimes – you let them run the asylum because they're putting up uh, 65 wins a year. And here's how things have changed. Here's a conversation that you can't have in sports now that Whitey Herzog had on a regular basis. Who was the best hitter you ever saw with a hangover? And George Brett was right there, and Pedro Guerrero was right there. And obviously the king was Mickey Mantle. But a manager now in 2021 can't have that conversation. If we ask, who's the best hitter you have, you have with a hangover? Nobody's going to tell you. Well, I don't. I my thing would be I don't know. Many guys are. Yeah, they're stretching. They're hydrating. Getting uh, electrolytes. Maybe doing an IV. That's the problem. The I mean, that's it's the problem. Totally different. That's why I mean, we have all these injuries. I, I <laughs> like. I I remember going when I was working for the Blues uh, many years ago. I would always wonder about why are we at the morning skate? These guys are elite athletes, and the idea was is that they go out and sweat the booze mm-hmm. out years before, and I'm like. And I'm not really seeing it. I mean, I'm seeing more of these guys like pounding protein shakes and for the most part, I mean, do they have their fun? Sure. But for the most part, they understand that their window is short to make money. So I'm going to maximize my body to the best of my ability to make sure that I put out every day and get a deal. One of my favorite stories is Chaser telling the story about how there was an assigned teammate to go to Holly's house every single morning so that he could get to practice on time. Really? Yeah. And they did it. The teammates were great, and they got him to the skate because there were times where he had to skate out the booze. Well, and, it was a and, rotating cast of guys. Yeah, and that'd be another example of of a, guy, a player. I'd say, eh, does he show up? Does he produce? Right. Yeah. yeah. Are they winning? Yeah. I mean, some guys are just animals too, man. I mean, they're just innately. There's just something different that allows them to um, perform at any level in any condition. Yep. I really believe that. I, I mean, want, not all of them, but some. I wonder if some guys even have unbelievable performances when they're hungover because they don't have the capacity to overthink things. I would agree with that. You know, you're you're thinking more or less about how miserable you feel, and so you're not you're not mm-hmm. thinking of overthinking the opponent or the situation. There's no doubt. I was. Uh, I'm not going to say the player, but one night we were out, and uh, it was kind of late, and I said, "Okay, I'm going to go back to the hotel. You know, we got a day game tomorrow." And he said, uh, "Okay, well, you know." Have a good night, whatever. And um, and I said, well, let, let's go. Let's get in the cab. You know, we'll go home. Reasonable time. He goes, no, no. He goes, this is an all-nighter for me, Danny Mac. And I said, <laughs> what? What a lie. And uh, he said, yeah. He goes, this one's an all-nighter. He said, um, got to get it. He said, and, and it was just, he said, I'm going to continue on. He said, I want to go, I want to go to the ballpark tomorrow and not think. <laughs> and that was his whole point. And sure enough, he went two for three the next day no. and, and got off. He was having a terrible time, terrible. And um, I saw him the next day in the, the clubhouse early in the morning. And I, I said, oh boy, and I just kind of looked at him. He goes, yep, it was going to be a good day, not thinking. And so that's what got him going. I said, okay. It worked. It worked. <laughs> Amazing. He bellied up somewhere and, you know, and, and and nothing else. That was it. You know, he was going to have his cocktails and show up to the ballpark the next day and not think. Just flip that brain That's switch right. off. That's right. He said, I'm not thinking. Daniel, have a very happy. Guess what day it is. It's our day. Pump day. <laughs> there you go. Who says that? Yeah, who the camel. Who, well, I know, but who's the guy there? That's the camel. 
on from what? The Geico spot. Oh, is it really? Yeah, the talking camel. I didn't realize that. Hump? Yeah, I got that part, Randy. I can put two and two together. What day is it? Hump day. I went to the Blues game last night. Took my son, my oldest son. Man, we had a blast. What a good game to was go to. Was the first period fun? No, that was brutal. Uh, we had unbelievable seats, thanks to the Blues. And um, we were three rows from the ice in a corner. And we just sat there and took it all in. The Blues do a magnificent job with their their game day presentation. It's really well yeah, done. They great. do. I They're mean, the, the work stoppages are the not the work stop. The time yeah. baseball the stop, does a good job of those. The stoppages in the game, all that stuff. It just keeps you entertained, and um, that was as good a win as I've seen in a long time by the Blues. Character winning. Oh my goodness! You had 19 guys, then your 17 skaters lose another one, lose your goaler, and then you still beat one of the best teams in Florida. Florida is good, and when you're ice level watching them play. They're big, they're fast, mm-hmm. they move the puck. I don't know how the Blues won that game, but they did. And uh, it was entertaining. That was, a, that was a hell of a game. Hashtag LGB and Tarasenko. Tarasenko uh, was a key last night. Yes, he was. played well after the first period. Everybody played a little better <laughs> after yeah. that first period. Yep. When you're being outshot 20 to 5. It's it, great. No. We were and, on pace for 60 to 15. Yeah. Oof. That's my math. You know, in the two games, doing the numbers, the Blues were outshot uh, 91 to 55 in the two games against Florida and get three points. Take it. Yeah, Yeah, you take that every day. Uh, Dan, we're looking forward to the Danny Mac show. BK out because he's getting married in, uh, let's see, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three days? Three days. Two days after this one. I didn't hear uh, his fiance on the air yesterday. I missed it. I know they were going to do like a love connection thing or maybe the newlywed game kind of thing. I didn't hear it. Is that how well you know one another? Yes. I'm going to listen on the podcast. Okay. Good. I look forward to that. We've got some baseball news to talk about with Brian Walton. Kyle McClellan will be our guest, and then Alex will come in at the end on the crossover, and I'm sure we'll get into the blues. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. See you tomorrow. Thank you, Daniel. Daniel will be with us tomorrow morning. With Carriker and Smallman and Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Great job today by our producer engineer, the one and only Andrew Marsh. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Randy. Michelle, this was fun. Great hump day, Randy. See you tomorrow. By the way, Texter says, have fun in hell, Michelle. LOL. That's fine. Um, but can't go after Sister Jean. I'm just saying, I'm Catholic too, and it felt like a betrayal. You know? Can't it, do it. It felt like she betrayed me. That's all I'm saying. Fair I'd stay away from those things, Michelle. Can't I'm just, do it. But I'm just speaking honestly and speaking from I, the heart. And I, I feel like that. she be- personally betrayed me. And so am I. I still you love and respect her. And, you know, hopefully I see her in heaven in that hell one day. Dan, you've seen there. Billy Joel in concert a few times, right? Oh, yeah, multiple times. When he tells a story here in St. Louis about how the song, Only the Good Die Young, was yep. banned in St. Louis. He thanked the Catholic Church because of the line, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than die with the saints. So the song was literally banned by the archdiocese here in St. Louis, and it made it just go off. It became a national story, and the so- song just blew up because of that. Wow, really? Yeah. So he thanks St. Louis for that. Great song, too. Great song. Great song. One of the best ever. All right. uh, We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.